Good evening, everyone. How are you doing? Good tonight. Why don't everyone stand up? Just stretch a little bit and go down your row and tell everyone you're so glad to see them here. If you haven't already hugged your neighbor, give them some love tonight. I'm so happy for a group that would come back on a Sunday night, especially after a service we had today. I was exhausted in a good way. I was exhausted. Our flesh cannot keep up with our spirit sometimes. Does anybody have that problem? Maybe it's because I'm 40 now, but uh, we'll have encounters. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, but I'm so glad you're back here tonight. So you may be seated, and I just want to start with a little activity for my students. Um, This is just a good old sword drill. How many would say that they feel like they have done a good job in their life of memorizing some scripture? Anybody, anybody? How many was raised in a Baptist background? Maybe at some point in your life? Yes. Or maybe your church just used good Baptist curriculum. Yes, I did. Abeka, that's great. Big on Bible foundation. I'm so thankful for that. Does anybody remember Salty, the song that would sing the scripture? Raise your hand at me. I just want to know. I grew up on Salty, so I can sing more than I can quote. But I just would love someone who would volunteer. Maybe there's a little bit of a cash prize for someone that can memorize some scripture, quote some scripture from me straight off the cuff, no cell phone, no Bible. Who would dare to try? And let me tell you something, if there's not at least a student from my school who volunteers, we will all be memorizing this week. Anybody, nobody, nobody, come on up, sweetheart. She's going to try. This is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for someone who can do five scriptures in a row. Let's give it a try. Just give it a try. I don't care what version. I would love the address, but even if you can just spit out the scripture, anything, anything. Can you give it a try? Let's start with one. Okay. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Give her a hand. No, no, no. You're right here. We're going to go to a Semper. That's two. I think she gets two for that, right? That was five, six, and seven. That's three. I can't count. Okay. Give me two more. Stop helping our cheat, Tori. Um, uh, Psalms 23 and 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Amen. Amen. She's got one more. One more. Um, Romans 12 and 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, for this is your reasonable service. Amen. Come with me, sweetheart, Judah. $5 for five scriptures. Give it to me, Judah. That is awesome. I think she has a little preach behind her voice, didn't you? (laughs) She didn't quote those. She preached those. Okay, I need another one. I need a student that will come up here, and it cannot be the same five she quoted. Come on. Come on, Jeremiah. Run, run, run. Cannot be the same five she quoted, okay? Five scriptures for $5. I'm just letting you... Spit them out. I really need the address, but we'll see how far you go. Okay, give me a try. Give it a try, Jeremy. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son for not only to condemn the world. Start again. Start again. Uh, You got it. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that who shall ever perish shall live. Who shall ever believe in him shall not perish but have an eternal life. Yes, thank you. He got one. Can you keep going? You got to get to five. Number two, think hard. 
it's one in Proverbs. Uh, I can I only know half of it. I can do all things through Christ. <laughs> it strengthens me, but not in Proverbs. I can do. No, what's that? Oh yeah, I have one. It's my over. I'm kidding. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to, plans to prosper. Plans to prosper you. Ah. Not to harm you. To give you. A hope in the future. That's right. That's number two. Can you do number three? He's warming up. He's warming up. I can't. I, can't, I don't know what verse this is because Passion Kevin's never said it. But I, for I am not the head. Hang on, hang on. For I am not the head, but I wait. For I, for I, for I, for I am not the head, but I'm. Oh, I'm the head and not the tail. For I'm above, but not beneath. Wait. <laughs> That's a Kevin Wallace scripture, but it is a culmination. It's a declaration from scripture. Okay, you're at three. Can you give me another? Oh, everybody give him a hand. He got to three. That's pretty good. That's great, Jeremiah. I need five for five. I need another student. Come on, y'all. Come on, Katie. Run up here. Run up here. Now, your mom is on this front row. You got some pressure. Pressure. Can't be any that have already been said. Okay, five more. Start with number one. This then is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Okay, what's the address? Okay, I'm going to give her credit for two scriptures since she prayed the whole prayer but didn't have an address. Katie, you can give me three more. Come on now. Come on now. Jesus wept. (laughs) Three. What's the address? (laughs) Come on, number four. Do I have another student that will tag with her and give me number three, four? Come on up. Come on up, my salty friend. Come on up. Let's give Katie two more. We're close. We're close. Two more. We need two verses. All right, let's just start in the beginning. Come on, somebody. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created. Didn't say Albert Einstein or any other. Sorry. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was covering the face of the deep, verse 2. And the Spirit of God was covering, was hovering over the face of the waters, verse 3. There's three more verses. Okay, he did it. Judah, give them both somebody. Give Katie the five. We'll give him two. Go ahead, Katie. You can have it. Okay, Judah, you got a 10 down there? I got a $10 bill for someone who can quote me a passage, and it cannot be the 23rd Psalm. A passage of Scripture. Come on, my fifth graders. Come on, a passage. A passage that is a series of scriptures that cohesively go together. $10 for a passage. Okay, come on up. Come on up. Who is it? Who is it? Is is that Zion? Is it Karis? Come on, Karis. Everybody. Karis. 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 Zion, you can come stand with her since you volunteered her. You can stand with her. Because if she don't, I'm going to make you. Come on, both of you. Come on. Karis, Zion. Karis, Zion. 
Zay, I'm going to make you wrap a, a scripture passage. <clears throat> For some parents out there, my children used to make up raps. That's how they learned their passages. In the beginning was the word. <laughs> Come on, Zay. That's how young Zay learned to rap. It was because we did scriptures. Okay. All right. Ready, Carrie? Was it Psalms 91? He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my strength. Fortress, my God, in him I will trust. Surely he will deliver me from the snare of the fowler and the, <laughs> and the perilous pestilence. No, 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 I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. He will cover me with his feathers, and under his wings I will take refuge. I don't know the rest of it. I don't either. Um, his truth shall be my shield and butler. That's all. Buckler. I don't know the rest of it. Who can finish it? Who can finish it? I will not fear the... I don't know it. But de- or the destruction that some, yeah. Um, <laughs> fall, a thousand may fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand, but it will not come near my dwelling. For only with my eyes will I see the reward of the wicked. <laughs> Give them a hand. That's good. That's good. Judah, we're going to let them split that ten. We'll let them split that ten. Okay. Um, I think I'm out of money. Do I have any more money? Ten more. Anybody else got another passage? A passage. And this time you cannot bring a buddy. Passage. Passage. Come on. I know some of my fourth and fifth graders have these down. Do not be shy. Come on. Come on up. Come on up. This is important. This is important. We're going somewhere with this tonight. Let's hear it. This is fourth grade, so I might be messing up a little bit on this one. All right. Uh. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. The, dang it. Okay. Gosh. The world and they that dwell therein. Something about the floods. Water's next. Give him a hand for a great attempt. Isaiah, get up here. Isaiah, get, I'm not going to give you any money. Come on, come on, come on. Just run, just run. I'm going to give you five seconds before you lose your cell phone. Come on, five, four, three, two. Let's just try it for old time's sake. No money, no money on the table. In the beginning. Was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing is made that has been made. In him is light, and that light was the light of man. The light shone in the darkness, and the darkness has understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light that through him all men might believe. He was not, wait, what was, was it? Was not the light. He came as a witness to the light. The true light that shines bright in every man is coming into the world. Rapping works. He only remembers that because he rapped it. So it's really important tonight because we're going to talk just a little bit. I thought this was going to be our last night, and I guess it's not. So we'll see what February holds. Um, but we're going to get right into teaching, and I'm going to teach tonight on a, t- a topic, the pacifier. Can you look at your neighbor and say, the pacifier? This is going to be so fun. I really had a nice little lesson 
I had planned, but um, the Lord really put this on my heart to talk about the word of the Lord. Um, and we're going to talk about what I believe uh, might be a hindrance to some of our prayers. Um, we began this whole prayer school by talking about putting our sword away, the sword of Peter. How many were here for that? If you didn't, maybe you watched it. That Peter was a sleeping church. He represented, the apostle Peter represented a church that was asleep, did not pray through when it was supposed to, and then woke up to current events, prophetic fulfillment, took out a sword and started swinging when it wasn't the right time. And we talked about being an intercessor over an activist. But today, I want to talk about arming you with the right sword. The sword of Peter would represent a sword without prayer. But I want to tell you, Jesus swung a very effective sword in his life, and it was the word. He was the sword, the word of God. Now, we're, we're going to go a lot of places tonight. But I need you to hear me say something. This comes out of a burden, especially for sons and daughters, that we in the church are drifting away from learning to swing the sword of the word. Okay? We have settled for concepts instead of what the word says, thus saith the word. And going to prayer without the weapon of the word is like going to battle without a weapon. I'm not saying that you can't be effective in your prayers. I can touch the heart of the Lord through my worship and my adoration. I can receive peace and grace and relief from pressure and stress by sharing my heart. But if I am going to accomplish victory in prayer and I am going to see the weapons of the enemy cease to be effective in my life or if I'm going to break the chains off anybody else's life in my prayer, it's more than emotion. It's more than feeling. You've got to have a weapon and it's called the word. And so, you know, growing up, I went to a church. My parents were my children's pastors and we memorized scripture. We me I can quote more passages of scripture, and that's not bragging. I wish I could say in my adult life I did that. I learned them all when I was five, seven, eight, and they never leave your heart. Um, and some of you think that's crazy, but I know for a fact I could start singing a song that you heard 20 years ago um, in your crazy, wild past, and you would finish the words. There's some songs I listened to in high school. My children provoke me by playing them in the car, but the the words just flow off of my mouth because we were meant to store words. You were meant to hear and store words. Um, but we use so much of our storage power for things and words that do not matter. And I fear that as young people and even adults, we are not storing an arsenal in our mind of the Word of God. And when I was younger, uh, memorizing scripture was about getting a star or uh, getting the Sunday school prize, or, you know, we had a chart with our name on it, and if you got a certain many amount of scriptures memorized, you got a prize, and those are great incentives, but it, it took me to my adult life before I connected the dots, and some of you that are in schools now where you're memorizing scripture, it may be about a grade or pleasing a teacher, 
But that's not why you hide God's word in your heart. You hide God's word in your heart because in the moment you're memorizing it, it may just be black words on white paper. It may just be another sentence you're memorizing. But I promise you there will be a season in your prayer life where you will wake up in the middle of the night in warfare or you're going to be in Walmart and you're going to encounter a person who needs healing or deliverance. Uh, There's going to be a time you're stressed in your life and you go to pray and the enemy is armed and at your doorstep, and the Word of God will just be quickened in your spirit. It will fly out of your mouth like a sword, and all of a sudden, you will have peace and victory, and you will say, thank God I had that scripture memorized, okay? Jesus found himself in that very situation where Peter may have swung the sword at the wrong time. Jesus had been fasting 40 days. He was being tempted of the enemy. And in every instance, when the enemy came in with a weapon to attack Jesus, in every instance, he responded how? It is written. Now, if anybody could have stated their opinion, if anybody could have sung a song, if anybody could have cried with their love for Jesus, for the Lord, God the Father, it would have been Jesus, right? But those are none of the tools that he used when the enemy was coming after him. He simply responded with, it is written. And his words were to the point, to the article, on target with what had been written. They were not concepts. They were quotes. And so I'm just trying to elevate your prayer life in a way that you might not want to hear at the beginning of this message. And I'm trying to challenge you to become a student of the word to eat the word, memorize the word, Um, not necessarily because someone's going to give you $5 if you quote a passage, but because I called on you in an instance you were not expecting, and you had to jumpstart the word in your life and get it to flow, but you don't know when you're going to be in a spiritual situation where you need to pull on an arsenal, and if you put it in, I promise you the Holy Spirit will bring it out. He will bring out things you learned 10 years ago. If you deposited it, deposit it like an arsenal in your spirit, he will bring it out. But some of us are not effective in our prayer life when we reach a level of warfare in prayer or we encounter opposition in prayer because we don't have a sword to swing. All we have is our feelings to spout out. All we have is our opinion. All we have is what someone else has told us. But I'm here to tell you, when you are praying in a realm that is not natural, when you have encountered a supernatural realm, this universe will move and respond, not to Devin Wallace's opinion, not to my fit, not to my feelings, But I'm here to tell you, angels move and demons tremble at the word of the Lord. And when you stop speaking your words and you start declaring his, the angels in heaven, the word lets us know, they sit in heaven and they hasten to perform the word of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? So I can say something, and it it doesn't mean God doesn't care about what I'm saying, but when I say what he says about that situation, there is a spiritual obligation in a dimension I cannot see to honor what comes out of my mouth because it is the word of Yahweh. Isn't that amazing? Okay, are you ready for a hard dose of medication today? Take a deep breath. In our church world, I I feel like this is Devin Wallace analysis of 
why we struggle for prayer, effective prayer in the church. I grew up in a church world much like Kevin's. We interceded all the time. We had all-night prayer meetings. The elders met before church and prayed. And, and I grew up hearing the sound of prayer, watching prayer. And I, my heart breaks that some of you have never grown up that way. You know, just prayer was what we did. But I'm going to be honest. Our worship was terrible. Can anybody testify that grew up that way, right? I mean, I love the old back hymns. I knew every song Kevin sang this morning. But worship was not about an encounter necessarily. We were just singing the word, and, and it was great, and it was powerful. And, and sometimes the Holy Spirit would break in, and somebody would take off running. I saw people run the backs of chairs, and uh, crazy things happen. But worship was not the encounter that it has become. And I am so thankful that the church has matured in its ability to praise and worship itself into an encounter. I am so excited that young and old, rich and poor, we have pressed into a dimension of worship. How many can testify you love that the the sound that the church as a whole is producing today? Okay. At the same time, here's your spoonful of medicine. I think we were so starved for the right sound and the right worship that we traded the word for worship, okay? And now we think as long as we worship, we'll have authority in the spirit. And sometimes our worship songs are no different than a love song to a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Oh, I'm going to get on a soapbox. And those are great. I sing songs like that too. But if our Worship is void of the word. It is nothing more than an encounter without a weapon. It's an incomplete transaction. Worship should usher us into the presence of the Lord. And I absolutely use worship every time I pray. I enter in that way. But if your encounter with God is dependent on a song or music, you are immature in the spirit. Because I love I mean, we are so spoiled at our church. If you travel around, I'm not here to criticize. We are so spoiled here. You can walk in and the first note of worship, angels are moving around, the heavens are open. You don't even have to try hard to get in the presence of the Lord. But some of us need a good encounter with terrible worship. So we learn that worship is not the only entry point into the presence of the Lord and that worship is not limited to a group on stage and the songs they play. It's a position of the heart. And I will never forget, I'm going to tell, tell on myself, but I was in a meeting one time and we were talking about city transformation in, in another area and um, we were talking about shifting the atmosphere and watching God reestablish order and redeem an area. And, of course, they wanted me to be a part. Um, but rule number one was we are not going to declare or pray. Tonight is only about a sound, and it's only about a song. And... I'm not criticizing. That is such an important part. When we do prayer strikes, I have taught our students. You've seen that happen. There is a sound that will break the atmosphere. There is a song that will open the heavens and gain the attention of heaven. But without the release of the declared word, you have not completed the assignment that's before you. In Genesis 1, the spirit hovered. There's your worship, there's your sound, and then God 
spoke. And as I was in the meeting, I was just like, you know what, Father, that'll work. That'll work. We'll do a sound and we'll do a song. There is no need to declare your word or make declarations from your word. And the Lord spoke to me so clearly. And he said, Devin, I did not create the heavens and the earth by a song. I created them by my word. Use the song to make the atmosphere ready to receive, but you must declare my word for transformation to happen. And so I feel like some of us in our prayer life are stuck because we are stuck in worship, but we are void of this right here to transform. Is that too hard tonight? And so I want to transform a culture that we, we don't need to go away from the movement of worship that's on the church. But now it's time for our sons and daughters to grab hold of the word with that same passion of worship. And not only grab hold of the word, use worship to prep the atmosphere and then to declare, declare the word. And I'm going to tell you what I appreciate about the songs that come from this house is they are full of the word. They they are an enhancement of the word. David sang the entire book of Psalms. It was the word to worship and to music. And it's not just about singing a cool song. You will see heaven and earth move and demons tremble and angels stand at attention when the word of God is declared. And so personal evaluation before I get deeper in this word. Don't say it out loud. This is a school of prayer, so we're evaluating ourselves. This is your own test. How many of you could have quoted five scriptures for me? How many of you could have quoted just one passage? Ask yourself in this personal test you're giving yourself, just in your mind between you and the Lord, if I was sick and I was in a wheelchair and I rolled up to you in the parking lot today and all you could do was pray the word over me, could you pray me through to healing? I mean, I know we, we do normally have by his stripes we are healed, praise Jesus. But how could you tell me it was God's will to heal me? What would you say to my spirit of infirmity to make it bow when you pray? Because your words don't do it. But what would you say? If you were at school or on the job and someone comes to you and they're suicidal and they're depressed, and they tell you, I'm struggling in my mind. I mean, I know you could tell them you love them. I know you could encourage them by telling them they're beautiful and they're smart. But what could you say right now if I came to you and said, I am depressed, pray for me. Tell me the first sword word you have. What's the first scripture you would say to them to tell that spirit of depression it had no right in their mind? Think. Because if you can't tell me one, that's the first thing you need to memorize this week. Okay? If someone came to you and was unsaved, what scripture could you tell them that proves to them their sins can be washed away and they can be a new creation? Do you get my point? So many times we are praying our words. And I'm not saying that your words can't have the authority of heaven in the name of Jesus. But you just don't know what can happen so quickly, so swiftly. You might pray for 30 minutes in your own flesh. And you can quote one word from this book and watch the situation shift. Okay, so I want this church to be a church that prays the word. 
And I hope we set an example of that. When I go into prayer, because this whole prayer school is about being transparent. When I go into prayer at a noon prayer or a Sunday morning before service or even in my own life, it will be a, a mixture of my petitions and then declarations of the Spirit. It's not just about begging God. It's about using the authority He has already given you and the permission He's already given you to use your prayer life to enforce what He has already said is His will. Sometimes all we do is ask God for things He has already given you the answer for. I mean, I just, I just want to imagine sometimes how God looks at me when I pray. When I am crying out for things, he says, you have the key for that. I want you to use it today. And learning to make those declarations over yourself, okay? So I'm going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. This would be my text for the night. I've got two I'm going to read. And it says this, he humbled you, talking to the children of Israel, and let you be hungry And fed you with manna, which you did not know, and your fathers did not know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. So when Jesus was in his wilderness temptation, this was one of the rebukes he gave the enemy. The enemy said, are you hungry, Jesus? I know you're hungry. So turn these stones to bread. Make yourself something to eat. And Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone. He was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. It is this very scripture that I think could be used as a foundational passage for Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. Remember the disciples? They were hungry. They had been on a long journey. They went into town to eat, and Jesus said, I'm going to go over here and sit. Okay? He sits. He waits on the woman at the well. He leads her to the Lord. There was so much potential in that one woman. She would be the one to evangelize her whole community. It was a God assignment. The disciples come back. They compel him to eat. They say, get him to eat something. He's got to be hungry. And Jesus says to you, says to them, I have meat you don't even know. I'm full already. Okay? Crazy for us to think about this, but whatever was going on in Jesus' spirit literally curbed his physical hunger. And he said, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me. In other words, I'm eating his word. I'm eating his commands. I'm doing what he said. And I don't have time to teach on fasting. Now that we have February, I will. I just want you to hear me say, hunger in the natural is just a living object lesson of how your spirit is made to operate. Your spirit hungers, and they are directly connected. And it's why fasting will do something to your spirit when it does something to your body. And it's why gluttony is one of the seven deadly sins. We don't think about the correlation of hunger in the natural with hunger in the spirit, but How did mankind fall to begin with, church? It was over food. Genesis 1, 3, she saw something 
and it appeared good. She craved it. It was desirable, means she wanted to taste it. And the ingestion of that food infected her spirit. Look at the law of the Old Covenant. Do you know that three-fourths of the Old Testament law is about what they could and could not eat? So you got to ask yourself, what is this hunger thing all about? What is this hunger thing all about? And we're going to say very shallow. I promise we'll go deeper in February. But hunger is a natural representation of a spiritual truth. Hunger is something you will never outlive as long as you are alive. It will visit you daily and multiple times a day. Can somebody say amen? Hunger is not something that, you know, as a three-year-old child, you eat and you never hunger again. Because it's meant to be something that proves you are alive and causes you to daily engage with your appetite. If you didn't feel hunger, you would starve to death. Hunger is one of the first impulses an infant learns. Before it can speak, before an Im- I see Dante over there, he could preach this sermon. Before it can even know its name, a little baby will cry every time it's hungry. And even as a mother, I can have a doctor tell me how often I should feed my child, but that schedule is really not needed because that baby will surely let me know when it wants something to eat. It's a basic survival skill of a human being, and it's a basic survival skill of your spirit. Without spiritual hunger, you will surely die. Some of you... Just, just natural hunger. If you ever go on an extended fast, there's so many life lessons to learn from fasting. I hate fasting and I love it at the same time. I love what it does in my spirit, but don't look at me like I'm super spiritual. I hate fasting and you will hate it too because nothing in your flesh will like it. But the life lessons you will learn in your spirit by undergoing a fast are phenomenal. And the first thing you learn is that hunger is vicious. It makes you crazy. It will surface all of the ugly within you. My children, and of course, Kevin, if he was here, he would amen so loud. On the first two days of a fast, I am not a person you want to be around. It is detoxing of the spirit. Every ounce of self-control will leave and every root of anger and rage and sarcasm and weepiness. I mean, by day two, I'm just crying over the desire for food. But somewhere around day three or day four, for those of you who have just endured the three-day fast every month, you deserve a medal, but you just got started. The first three days, let me, let me give you a medal. The first three days are awful. If you can survive that, keep on going. Because something crazy happens around day three, day four. The more physical hunger is denied, it begins to die. Something happens in your brain and it recognizes, wow, she's ignoring me. This is what my body does. She's ignoring me. And normally, I am able to satisfy my cravings by pushing that button called hunger. But she has denied me so long, I'm going to have to find another way to get my calories. And it'll start eating from stored places. And, you know, most of us could probably fast 40 days and never touch an organ of our body. For those of you that are worried about dying. I got plenty of stored places. 
and hunger will die. And on the fifth day, I forget that I didn't eat. Okay? And that's really helpful when you're on a fast. I'm laying this foundation to tell you somebody, some of you are there in your spirit. You have ignored your spiritual hunger so long, it's dying. Your spirit was triggering you and triggering you that you were weak and you were hungry and you needed the word and you needed prayer and you needed time in his presence and life gets busy and things pull at you and you wouldn't dare skip a meal, but you sure will skip your time with Jesus. And all of a sudden, you wake up one day and nothing in you tells you to pray anymore. Or you go a whole week and you go, did I forget to read my Bible? And I'm here to tell you, you are in a place not only of spiritual slumber, but you're quickly approaching spiritual death. And tonight I am here to provoke hunger in you because hunger is necessary for effective prayer. If you are just quoting words, it is no different than looking at a plate of your mother's home cooking and pushing it around with your fork like you could take it or leave it. And some of us are not receiving in the spirit because our prayer life is optional. There is no true hunger or passion about what we're petitioning God for. We'd rather be somewhere else. It's just something we're having to do because Pastor Devin told us to do it. It's void and it's dry and we're not really ingesting in the spirit. And the Holy Spirit is nowhere near a prayer that is not driven by hunger. I was asked one time, and I, I hope you understand, I don't say these things out of arrogance because I've got so much to learn. But I was asked one time, Pastor Devin, why are your prayers so effective? Which I'm telling you, i got a long way to go. But you know what my first response is to someone who asks me, how can I be more effective in my prayer time like you? Mean what you pray. And if you don't mean it, save it for another day. Just don't even pray it. I spent so many years of my Christian life spitting out prayers that I was half-heartedly connected to and nothing moved in the spirit, nothing changed over my life because they were not effective prayers. They were passive. My heart was not attached and there was no hunger. It was lip service to Yahweh. Some of you do it every night when you lay down. Jesus, protect me. Jesus, be with me. Help me stay safe tonight. Help me at my day to school tomorrow. And actually, we're talking, and if you were honest, you can talk to Jesus, and your brain can be talking to yourself all at the same time. You're praying, and you're also thinking about the movie you just watched, and you're thinking about your schedule for the next day, and it's a half-hearted release of words that has no power behind it. But I'm going to tell you, if you want to have an effective prayer life, I made a, a, a vow in my heart maybe 15 years ago, I will not pray something I don't mean. If I say, Holy Spirit, come, you better believe I mean it like my next breath. And if I say it, I mean it. And if I don't mean it, I'm not going to pray it. I decided I would stop disrespecting the presence of the Lord like that. It's like a parent. Have you ever, man, I'm always picking on my kids, but have you ever just been talking to your child and you know, or your husband or, or your, your wife or somebody, and you know they're not listening to you? And you just feel like it's a waste of words. I feel like sometimes God knows we're talking to him, but he knows our hearts are not engaged. It's just wah, 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 wah. And we wonder why our prayers are not answered. Boy, this is going to be hard for what I thought was the last night. 
But I'm here to provoke hunger in you because I'm here to tell you the simplest prayer can be the most heaven-moving, earth-shaking, passionate prayer when there is hunger behind it. And some of you need a good dose of hunger. You need a shock of hunger in your spirit that drives you to pray because hunger is needed for an effective prayer life. Hunger is irritating. Who wants to agree? I don't know anybody that feels like hunger is pleasant. I want you to think about the last time you were hungry. It's irritating. Sometimes your head hurts. Does anybody get a headache? Your stomach actually, if you, listen, this is crazy. God help us see the phenomenal way God created us to teach us about him every day. Do you know if you ignore your stomach long enough, it talks for you? And you say it, my stomach's growling, as if your stomach has a mouth. But if you ignore it long enough, the Lord actually created your stomach to make a noise you can hear outside of your body. That's how much he wants you not to starve to death. How many have been at work and forgot to eat and your stomach reminds you and your person sitting next to you is like, what the heck was that? That was my stomach crying out in hunger. Hunger makes you uncomfortable. You can't hardly sleep when you're hungry, right? It'll keep you awake. It's hard to go to bed hungry. That's the worst punishment ever. And I'm saying that because irritation is necessary for you to live every day and engage in appetite like you're supposed to. And I'm just here to tell you one of the secrets of living a very wonderful prayer life is allowing your spirit to be irritated when it needs to. If you haven't been irritated by the Holy Spirit to pray in a long time, tonight I'm going to pray a prayer over you that I pray he irritates you in the middle of the night or right in the middle of your lunch break or when you're driving down the road. A lot of you are experiencing that agitation. You're just misplacing who the source of it is. Okay? The the desire and the call to prayer, there are two types of prayer. Prayer you plan And that is necessary in your life. Just like you plan to talk to your boyfriend or girlfriend or you plan to talk to your parents, you should make space for God every day. There should be times that he don't have to irritate you. He don't have to wake you up. You just love him and you want to talk to him. And if you can make it in your schedule, make it the same time every day. Make it a special time with you and the Lord. But I want to move you past planned prayer. I want to make you an intercessor, right? And that means when God needs you to pray, he has permission to draw you or call you to prayer anytime he wants. And this is those unscheduled times when an irritation will come to your spirit. Like something in your eye that you just can't drive or you can't function anymore. An irritation in your spirit that is not the Lord trying to make your day bad. He's actually got something he wants to say to you or something he wants to do through you. Or I'll tell you what will happen to me. The Holy Spirit will see my day ahead of me and he'll see something coming down the road. He'll see something coming to attack my children and he'll quicken me to pray. And if I stop and I engage when the Lord calls me to, It will shift the rest of my day. It will thwart the plan of the enemy. It will release something off my life. Listen, I'm a mother, and I remember, especially when my children were younger, there were days I did not want to hear mom one more time, right? 
mom, mom, mom. You just wanted to find a place. You just wanted to put earplugs in your ear. You love them. But every time someone says mom, it was because they wanted something from me. And I will never forget one day I was folding laundry and I began to feel the irritation in my spirit to pray. And I responded to the Lord like I do my children or even Kevin sometimes when they're needing me. And I say, Lord, what do you want now? Please, God, I'm so tired. What do you want from me now? And the Lord spoke to me. He said, Devin, I am the only person in your life that when I call your name, I don't want anything from you. I'm trying to give you what you need. And it changed my perspective of prayer. Instead of avoiding that irritation, instead of trying to replace that irritation, I recognized if I will take five minutes, if I will take 15 minutes, and I will respond to the pull of the Lord, he is going to deposit something in my life that will give me grace for the rest of my day. So it's a blessed irritation. It's an invited irritation in my life. But I want to talk about that practically, and then I just want to give this prophetic word God's given me, and we're going into prayer like hungry people. How do you know the Lord is calling you to prayer? I just want you to think about this. I'm going to talk about me. I have times I just pray because I want to. But I want you to be the type of individual when someone's in trouble or God sees something in the, in, that's coming or he has something he wants to release in the earth. Remember, Jesus is sitting on a throne today. He is not on this earth. And when he wants something done here, he will do it through those he has given dominion to. He will do it through those he has partnered with. That's how any good king does, right? They will work through those who are under them. And so many times our world is not functioning the way it's supposed to because we are not praying. I, I believe every day, this is just Devin Wallace's opinion, I believe every day God has purposes he wants to unfold in the earth. And he is literally just looking for people who will be his mouthpiece for those purposes to be released. Some of them are personal for me. Some of them are over my city. Some of them are over my nation. Some of them are over people I pastor. I will wake up and God will bring a person to my mind and I know to pray for them and I don't know why. And you have moved into a realm of intercession when you make yourself available to be the mouthpiece of prayer for the Lord. And irritation can look different just like hunger looks different for different people. And it can start subtly and it will grow and grow and grow and get louder until you heed it. Sometimes it's a, a, an unsettledness. A, a, an un, I, I, it's going to be very difficult for me to describe, but I'm going to. It will be an unsettledness, almost like a lack of peace in my spirit. I just, just can't sit down and watch that TV show like I want to because there's just something going on in my heart. Or I, I'm, I'm going to the fridge and I'm opening it and I'm closing it. And I'm opening it and I'm closing it because I'm desiring something and I think it's food. But then I go there and there's absolutely nothing in there that I want. Bingo. Some of you are like, is that what that is? Absolutely. It's the Lord pulling at your spirit. And some of us feed it. We're like, give me a chocolate milkshake. That will take care of this. And the Lord is like, no, no, no. It's your spirit crying out. That's not going to fix it. Sometimes it's a heaviness, okay? My, one of my children, I won't tell who, they describe it as a yuck feeling. 
Mom, I've got a yuck feeling. And we used to think something was wrong. They used to think, oh, my God, is it the devil? And we learned, that's your signal for prayer. And how did they learn? They would get that yuck feeling, and they would go in and pray, and they would come out with a peace and a victory. And I would say, that's praying through. So some of you, you get these yuck feelings, these uneasy feelings, and you start to have panic attacks like something's wrong, and it's not. It's the Lord pushing your hunger button, and he's saying, I'm trying to get your attention. There's something urgent. I need you to stop and pray. Some of you, it's weepiness. It's heaviness. It's a fluttering in your heart, a fluttering in your belly. You'll just feel almost like you're in church and it's the Spirit of the Lord, but you're in your car and you're like, why am I feeling this? No one's laying hands on me. And it's the Spirit of the Lord sitting down in your passenger seat saying, we need to talk. And what happens is we get this hunger. The Lord will signal the hunger of our spirit. But the enemy knows that that hunger is the seal of his defeat because your prayer life absolutely disables his authority. It absolutely sabotages his, your, his plans, whatever he had planned for your day. He'll see the Holy Spirit dealing with you, and he'll think, oh, my word, if she goes to prayer, everything that I've been working on is about to be sabotaged. When she prays for her son, everything that I've been hiding is about to be revealed. When she goes into prayer, everything that I had planned for her church, it's about to be sabotaged, and all he can do is stop the hunger. Which is why I brought something today. <laughs> this is going to be so fun. I brought plenty. This is a special one I had in here. Oh, firebrand. You see that? It says wild one. Not wild ones, but I thought that was close enough. Wild ones. That's our conference coming. Okay, nobody got it, but I bought the pacifier because it said wild one. Y'all are all supposed to be wild ones, right? It's like a baby. If I'm a mom and I'm sitting in church and the baby starts crying and I want it to stop, all I do is pull out the pat-pat, the binky, whatever you called it, so many pet names for this thing, it's called a pacifier. I haven't done this in a long time. I'm going to tell you. Children will grip onto this with a death grip. Have you ever given this to a baby and you try to pull on it and it's like, holy cow, they just got the strength of Samson, right? Their little jaws will tighten and their eyes, if they're really hungry, will get big like this. Because there's a hunger in that baby. It's got to be satisfied. And we in North America invented something that will fake out the hunger and silence the child just long enough for a convenient moment to pull out what they need. And this morning, this was not the word I was going to preach. All I kept getting was a visual of the bride of Christ with a pacifier in her mouth, realizing that we're not praying because we have pacified our spirits with a fake alternative. The church is prayerless because we are sucking on a pacifier instead of crying out to Abba for what we really need. Mm -hmm. I can't even talk. 
This right here. Mm, I have so much to say. This right here is why I believe 2020 was the wreck it was for the church. This right here is why I believe our wonderful, loving Father is going to allow some shaking and some shifting and some prodding and some really uncomfortable moments for the bride of Christ in the coming weeks and months. We just want comfort. We are satisfied with a pacifier that will not change anything about our current state. This does nothing for a baby. It does not give them nutrition. It does not give them strength. It does not fill their belly. It doesn't even curb their hunger. It just gives them a temporary satisfaction that silences them. And if you're really good at maneuvering that pacifier with your baby and patting it or whatever, you might even put the child back to sleep when it should have been eating. The Lord is not here to hurt us. What's coming, you hear me, what's coming is not because God is here to judge us or because he's mad at us. It's because he's a good father and he's sick and tired of watching his bride be anemic and weak and half dead because she has bought a North American pacifier that has silenced the bride of Christ in this region and the earth. And tonight we're going to pray this thing out of the bride whatever it takes. I was talking with Mary Mawatha. Raise your hands, Mary. Such an awesome prayer warrior. Mary is from Kenya, Africa. And she came here. She's a professional. She works at Memorial Hospital. She took care of Dr. Lowry all the way up to his death. She came here on an assignment. She was here. She would tell you that there's a whole remnant from Africa that has landed here on American soil. Because many, many years ago, it was this nation that sowed missionaries into Africa. We helped to transform a nation. Isn't that right, Mary? We sowed seeds that a group, a church, a remnant in Africa took seriously. And, and they grew as the body of Christ and as Africa grew, especially in its movement of prayer, if there's anything the church in Africa is known for, it's prayer. The American church began to suck on a pacifier and grow weaker and weaker and sicker and sicker until now we are receiving more missionaries than we are sending. This trend started about 10 years ago. There are missionaries coming from nations all over the world right here to the place where we are the church who thinks we have it all in the United States of America. And Mary said the Lord sent her here to sow back into this soil, and there's a whole group. And I went to lunch with Mary last week, and let me tell you something. The woman can pray me under the rug like there's very few people in this earth I value their prayer life more than Mary Muatha or a person that I know lives a more dedicated life to the Lord than Mary. And Mary starts telling me that the Lord is dealing with her like she has bitten off the American dream and compromised her call in the United States of America. 
And I'm like, wow, if Mary's in trouble, we are all in trouble. I said, Mary, why do you say that? What has the Lord been saying to you? And this is why I had the dream I had. And this is why there's been a shaking in 2020. And this is why that was only a tremor of what will happen in 2021 because we want revival, right? You're not going to back up over a little shaking, are you? We're hungry for awakening, right? And that's exactly what's about to happen. But Mary said, you know what, Devin? The church in America doesn't pray because you don't have to. The enemy has created something that will satisfy your cry, and you don't even have to. And she began to give me example after example, and I'll give you some. She said, Devin, I work at a hospital, and in your nation, if you get sick, whether it's a cold or it's cancer, you get free medical care, whether you can pay for it or not, the best in the world. They have to treat you. They have to give you prescriptions. But back in Kenya, if we got sick, we didn't have medical insurance. We didn't have doctors. We had one name we could call on, and we prayed like our life depended on it because it did. Oh, some of you don't like this. I'm not teaching against medicine. Just hear me. When we get sick, it's kind of like, Jesus, we're going to give you a shot. And if not, I got my prescription waiting in the car, and it'll take care of it just the same. <laughs> Mary said, you know, Devin, if, if you're hungry, like you have a bad month at work or you can't get food, you can get food stamps. There's, there's the community kitchen. There's the Chattanooga Food Bank. When you get hungry, you look to your government to supply food for you. But back in Kenya, if our crops didn't grow and it didn't rain and we experienced a drought, we had one God we could call on and we had to pray like our life depended on it because if we didn't pray, we didn't eat. If we lost our job, we had to pray. We, we didn't have anywhere to go. We didn't have anything to do. Do you get the point? I could go down the line that sometimes... We lose our hunger because we are satisfying it with an inferior solution and God has become optional instead of our source. Now, I'm here to tell you, I believe that God is the source of all good medicine and God is the source of social solutions for world hunger. I'm not here to teach some theology that we run from all of the solutions of the Lord. I am here to tell you they are not supposed to be our God. And just maybe our government is shaking because we've put him, that government, Uncle Sam, on the throne long enough in America. Maybe we keep looking to men for solutions we're supposed to be crying out to God for. And maybe we've taken a pacifier called human wisdom and human intellect and worldly solutions instead of recognizing that there are some things only God can do. And I'm here to tell you, the pacifier is coming out of the church whether you want it to or not. What will you do when you cannot run to the normal places of solution that you have always run to? This should not produce fear. This should provoke you to get in the Word and get on your knees and learn to pray. Because I'm here to tell you, Mary and Joseph would tell you, 
When they had Jesus, they had nothing. But when you have Jesus, he is all you need. Didn't the Lord send wise men all the way from the east with coffers of gold and silver and lay it down at their feet and provide for them their every need? Ask the children of Israel. Did they not wander in the wilderness with no government to provide for them? Yet the soles of their shoes never wore out. They never outgrew their clothes. And God rained down special food from heaven at the same time every day so they could eat that is a God who is the focus and the source of our life and I fear that our comfort has to go for a season not because God is judging you because God cares way too much about your spiritual strength and integrity and the outpouring of his spirit to allow the church to come every Sunday sit on a pew suck a pacifier and go home the way they came dependent on a system that is breaking before our eyes and will continue to break until the kingdoms of this earth become the kingdoms of our God. (laughs) The pacifier, it has to go. The pacifier is anything that will stop anger and agitation, excitement or craving and will produce a false sense of calm or quiet. And I'm here to tell you, the Lord wants this to go in our life so that we begin to cry out for the real thing. Some of us in our prayer life, hmm, how do I say this right? Father, help me. My children had a couple different cries. They had a cry of hunger, a cry of hunger, right? You knew, I knew when my children were hungry. But then they had this cry of discomfort that actually had nothing to do with hunger. They just wanted something like to nurse or to suck on a passy when they didn't need to. Or it was just like this irritating cry for me that was not genuine, It was a false cry. It wasn't real hunger. How many have ever been watching someone else's cry, a child, and they'll cry and start rooting, and you're like, they're hungry, and the mama's like, no, they're not. Like, they really look hungry, and they're like, no, they're not. Just give them that pacifier. That's a fake cry. It doesn't deserve intervention. Some of our prayer lives aren't real. And maybe they've gone unanswered because the Lord just allowed us to suck on that pacifier a little longer until hunger actually drove us to spit it out. How many of your prayers are half-hearted? Prayers for comfort and complacency and selfish desire, but they're not really for the rhema word of the Lord to come forth. What is your goal of prayer? I just read it for you. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word. What is the goal of prayer? The breakthrough of the word of God. The goal of prayer is not just for you to be heard. It's for God. It's for heaven to be heard. How do you know you prayed through when you hear from God? And how many of us pray just to quench that irritation, but we don't pray through to satisfaction. When I'm hungry and I go to eat, 
I have never seen my children. When Isaiah is hungry, it's scary. That skinny child of mine can put away more food. I have never seen Isaiah say, Mom, I am starving. And me hand him a Chick-fil-A combo meal and him eat two fries and stop. That's irritating. That's hard. Has anyone ever been hungry and been on one of those diets where they're like, just eat a smaller portion, and you eat enough that it quenches your hunger, but you're not satisfied? No, we eat until this feeling comes over us that we call satisfaction, meaning I am now full. I can stop. But when we pray, we settle for two French fries, and we never pray through to a place of fulfillment and satisfaction where we have tasted and seen the Lord is good, and we have eaten what's on the table. And if you think Yahweh will prepare a table before you for you to eat two French fries and let it go to waste, you're wrong. He will move on to the next individual and say, I've got a meal. Are you ready to eat it? And if we want victory in our prayer life, we've got to spit out the pacifier and start coming to the Lord with true hunger. And when we pray, you may get irritated enough to pray, but are you hungry enough to pray through? Pastor Devin, when do you stop praying? When I have heard from God. Whether it is his voice whispering to me, whether it is his word coming to me, whether it is his presence responding and enveloping me with peace, whether it is a vision or a picture that he gives me, I pray through until I have complete communication with the one I am praying to. And that's why some of your prayer lives are so boring. They are filled with you talking and zero expectation of ever receiving an answer. But you can live a prayer life that every time you pray, an interaction takes place. A deposit happens. A shift happens. I have gone to prayer about things and come out even just five minutes later, five focused, hungry minutes later, and I know even though nothing around me looks different, I have 100% faith. I am 100% settled in my spirit that whatever I just prayed about, it's done. It's done before I ever see it. That's praying through. When you wake up in the middle of the night and your heart is troubled about your family and you are weary and you are weeping and you are heavy and you pray and you pray and you pray and 30 minutes later, an hour later, a peace from heaven comes over you. The word of the Lord comes over you and your children may still be acting crazy and living for the devil, but you wake up and say they're saved. Just as sure as I'm standing here, their victory is sealed. Their lives are protected. I have prayed through. That's what the old saints used to say. And when you have prayed through, there's a satisfaction and a peace on you that the enemy cannot steal. He'll come behind you and try to steal the word, just like that parable where, where the, the birds come and try to steal the seed. But when you have prayed through, there is a peace and a resolution that will come to you. And as we end this prayer school for the month of January, I don't want you just to eat two french fries and walk away not completing your assignment with nothing shifting in the spirit. I want you to learn to grab a hold of the horns of the 
the altar and learn to pray until you feel something come down from heaven or you feel the heavens open or you hear the voice of the Lord. Even if it doesn't change, you hear him say he's in control. And when we learn to pray through like that at Redemption to the Nations Church, we will see our city shift. We will see our nation shift. We will have answers in our heart before we ever see them manifest around us. And so tonight, as we prepare to go into prayer, I just bought a bunch of pacifiers because they're different. I don't know exactly what the enemy uses to squelch your prayer life and to make you anemic in the spirit. I think I bought every pacifier they had. And I bought a bunch because I had an idea. Now, this is geared towards students, so adults don't get offended at me. I had an idea. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my Wild Ones pacifier... And I think I'm going to attach it to my keychain. Or I'm going to hang it with a cute little ribbon from the mirror of my car. And for the next few weeks until Wild Ones, I'm going to look at, I'm going to put that pacifier somewhere I see it every day. And I'm going to remind my spirit, you will not be satisfied with an inferior food the enemy wants to, to serve you. You will not be distracted. And I'm going to pray for the Lord to increase my hunger in prayer. And if you want an effective prayer life, you will learn not to pray passively. In fact, if you don't mean it, in the natural or in the spirit, just put the pacifier back in. And wait until hunger really grabs hold of you. Because I'm going to tell you this, when a child gets really hungry, there comes a point where that pacifier does not satisfy anymore. I remember the anxiety I would feel when my children would refuse the pacifier. They would refuse to be refused, and they would refuse to be denied. And when I would give them the pacifier, they would cry louder than they did to begin with because they were so irritated that I thought they were stupid enough to take that lie again. And I am praying that the things the enemy has used to squelch your prayer life and stop you from going into the presence of the Lord, that as you look at that pacifier, they not only not satisfy you, they begin to irritate you so bad that when the enemy brings them back into your life, it just makes you cry out all the louder for the presence of the Lord. Some of you, your cell phone's about to irritate you. Your Xbox is about to irritate you. Your Instagram is about to irritate you. I'm so sorry, but your boyfriend and your girlfriend might just get on your nerves because they're not going to satisfy you like they used to. Do you hear me? They're not going to satisfy you like they used to. And some of you are jumping from relationship to relationship and you're binging on Netflix and you're eating gallons of ice cream because your spirit is starving and you will never satisfy it with anything in the natural. And you're about to get a prayer life. And you're about to recognize you're not as needy as you thought you were. Because when your spirit is satisfied, you will be like Jesus sitting at the well. And you will look at a group of hungry disciples and you'll say, I can skip this meal. It's no big deal. 
I'm eating something much richer than anything you could ever bring me.